0: Good afternoon. Oh, that sounded a little dead. We could do better. Today. How y'all doing today? Good, good, good. Uh, we're excited to be here as Chris alluded to, had a little bit of a long day. I actually just arrived from Albany uh, this afternoon. I spoke there at a conference uh, this weekend and uh, was able to get back in three hours. So already God has done miraculous things um, today. Yeah, yeah, um, pretty exciting. But, um, and and definitely before we move on, I I wanted to make sure that uh, we extended a warm invitation for you to stay here after the message for uh, the follow-up to the conversation that got started a few weeks ago around the theme, Because Life Matters. And so there was an event called Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Anybody there, anybody was there? Yeah, yeah, incredible event in which we really uh, got a chance to hear from some panelists about really just issues facing our community and justice and economics and all of those things. And we started that conversation and we're gonna continue that on today, this afternoon at 6.30, shortly after the uh, service ends. And we definitely wanna invite you to be a part of that. and so please stick around and if you can. And that, and that issue uh, that we're talking about and Because Life Matters and, and even more broadly, this theme of text message that we've been in this series is very much tied into what we're gonna share and what that song in that video just showed, right? The refrain in the song was, everybody gets knocked down. So that's a statement, a profound one that affects all of us but then he asked the question, and on top of the statement, says, everybody gets knocked down, but how fast are you going to get up? That's the question. And the reality is that there is a text message that God has revealed to us. There's a message that uh, in his word that is a consistent theme throughout scripture that we see, and it is that pain and suffering is a part of life. It's there but the question is how do we respond to it and so in this idea of a text message I can imagine that God sent us as part of that text message this simple phrase suffering is in the syllabus suffering is in the syllabus I'm gonna uh, read a passage uh, together we'll have it up on the screens as well and we're going to just kind of jump into a life of uh, someone in the Bible who was well acquainted with this, we're gonna go to the end of the story and work our way backwards. And in Genesis chapter 50, last chapter of Genesis, verse 15, we see these words recorded. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. So they're like, look, this is what daddy told us to tell you, right? (laughs) I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. And then it goes on to say, In verse uh, 18, right after that, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. You can go to the next slide there. So, So they do this. They have this plan, and it says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before them. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your presence. We uh, have worshiped you in song. We've acknowledged your, your presence among us. And now we ask that you would open up our, our hearts and our ears to receive from you. Lord, we know that we all have come through different things, maybe even this week, maybe even this day that we do not understand and that we struggle with. We ask that you would give us insight into your word, but not only just insight, that you would give us inspiration into what you want us to do with that, that those truths, and then give us application into what we need to do as a result of this. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned that we kind of started at the end of the story. So so now we're going to kind of rewind a little bit. I'll give you an overview into the life of Joseph and kind of the whole context of what just happened there at the end of this life. Why are his his brothers so afraid? Why did they treat him? What did they do to treat him so badly? Why did Joseph weep and, and, and all of that? So Joseph's story starts in Genesis chapter 37. And I wish I had time for us to all read it together. I just encourage you to read it throughout this week. But here's the basic bottom line. He was, at the time, he was the youngest of 10 older brothers. He would have one younger brother that would come after him. But at the time, he was the youngest of, of 11. And he was the son of his father's uh, old age, right? So his father, had, you know, he was kind of like that unexpected bonus that sometimes happens in families that you didn't know was coming. But that was, that, that was Joseph. And so as a result of that, uh his dad kind of pampered and spoiled him do we have any older like raise your hand if you're an older sibling right if you have younger siblings raise your hand right all right now keep your hands up keep your hands up i just want to take a poll right so we're looking these are all older siblings who have younger siblings now i'm going to ask you to put your hand down when you, when i answer this question put your hand down if you think that your younger siblings got the same treatment that you got and that they were not spoiled or, you know, in, or treated differently in any way. Notice that, look at that, look. Almost every hand stayed up. Okay, that, that kind of proves the point. So we all know what it's like to kind of experience some sense of that you know, sibling rivalry deal, right? Well, Joseph was particularly um, spoiled in light of him being the child of his dad's older age. And, I mean, And so his older brothers were like grown like they had families and stuff, right? And not only that, but he also, so when people get spoiled, the reason why we use the word spoiled is because they end up kind of acting a little funny sometimes. So he, you know, we see this in the early accounts that he was kind of a tattletale, you know, uh, dad, the brothers ain't doing what you asked them to do. And that, but he's telling them grown men though, right? With families. So this is not working well with them. They're not feeling him on this. Then on top of that, he had, it talks about in Genesis 37 that he was a dreamer. He had these dreams that God gave him these insights and these visions into incredible things that he was going to do. But if you combine the dreamer with the spoiledness and what you get is, hey, y'all, guess what? I had a dream that all y'all going to bow down to me. All right, so now not only are you telling me you're spoiled, but now you're telling me that you know, God, the God of the universe has appeared to you and now we're going to work like bow down to you. What's up with this? So they were so frustrated and angry with the situation that they hashed up a plan one day to get rid of this problem. This brat that was around them. And so long story short, they end up deciding to throw him in the pit, sell him into slavery and tell dad, yo, man, we was just out and this wild animal must have got." And so like they dipped his his coat in blood and then showed dad like, you know, Joseph gone. Kind of messed up. And so through no real fault of his own, Joseph gets thrown into a pit. Then gets sold into slavery. But things kind of look up from there. We see this in Genesis chapter thirty nine. He gets sold into this dude's house named Potiphar and Potiphar sees there's something different and unique about Joseph. He's, he's a real faithful servant and he, he typically, you know, he just does a really good job. So he puts Joseph in charge of everything. This wasn't like chattel slavery, like, you know, whips and things like that. This was kind of a different, he was in a really a sense, a manager of everything that Potiphar owned, except for one thing, Potiphar had a wife and the wife was feeling Joseph. Now, a lot of us, you know, we think we attractive and cute, right? You know what I mean? I see a lot of attractive-looking people here, you know, especially my wife, this beacon shining over here. You know, we, get, we, we think we cute. But it's on another level when the Bible tells you you handsome. Like, you can go back to chapter and verse and be like, uh, yeah, you know, God says I'm a dying piece. Like, that's on a whole nother level, right? And, and that's what we get. That's what we get in the text. It's like, yo, Joseph was a handsome dude. And, and so, as a, so as, a, as a result of this, Potiphar's wife notices and makes advances. Joseph's like, "Nah, I can't do that. I'm, I'm faithful to my God and my, you know, my, you know, my master. We ain't, we, ain't, we ain't going there. So one day, nobody's around in the house. She decides to just jump up on him, no clothes. And he's like, ah, I got to go. Runs out of his clothes. Just gets out and flees runs away from her does the right thing but you know she kind of saucy right so she makes up this lie and says oh, you know what he, he he tried to rape me so now Joseph gets put from a pit to Potiphar's house to a prison and I and, and I can imagine him in prison like yo this is crazy like God where are you at I'm doing what you asked me to do I did the right thing and how did I end up here but it gets worse. So in prison, he meets these two guys, a, a cupbearer to the king and a, and a baker, and they are troubled with these dreams, these bad dreams that they're having. And so in the midst of that, Joseph interprets the dreams. God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams, And he tells one, yo, this is what's going to happen. This dream means that you're going, you're about to be released. Pharaoh is about to let you go. And so as a result of that, yo, remember me when we get out. You know what I'm saying? Remember your boy. Dude was like, I got you. I got you. Those are famous last words. <laughs> I got you. Right? So the other dude, he didn't have such as good news. He was like, uh, yeah, that, that your dream means you about to die. So sorry about that. So guy gets out m- my hookup. The I got you, man. And guess what happens? Forgets about Joseph. Languishes in prison for a few more years. So now this is like about almost 15 years of his life gone, separated from his family, brothers on, brothers thumb into, you know, slavery, in prison. And ultimately, at some point now, Pharaoh has a bad dream. And Pharaoh has this dream. And then the, the, the dude is like, oh, yeah, I remember there was a guy in prison that could interpret dreams. So he, he brings out Joseph. For Pharaoh. And, Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream for him. And he said, this is what the dream means. God is about to bring seven years of famine. I mean, first you're going to have seven years of plenty. Save up, store up, because then seven years of famine is coming. And so if you store up in the first seven years, you'll be good for the next seven. And Joseph, uh, Pharaoh is so blown away. He says, you know what? I'm going to let you be the vice president, and you handle all of this stuff. So Joseph goes from being in the prison to now being in the palace Far- as Pharaoh's right-hand man. Incredible story. Well, what what is that, all that has to do with us? Because I mentioned earlier that there is suffering in the syllabus, and there was a, a great poet. Now, you know, New York City has, has brought out incredible philosophers and poets and scholars throughout the course of its history, but there was one in particular that stands out to me that says something so profound that it just echoes throughout time. You can roll that slide. Iron Mike Tyson. And he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Iron Mike is deep, y'all. And what, Brooklyn's own, And what he's saying there is that this was in response to someone asking him, like, yo, this dude just said that he has a game plan to defeating you. Because, see, you short. And he's like a lot taller, so he's not going to let you get like inside of him. And then that's when the way he's going to beat you. What do you have to say to that, Mike? And he said, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, that's what happened to homie who had that great prediction. And so the reality is that we all fall. But the question is, will we get back up? There is suffering in the syllabus. And so we're going to reveal and look at three different principles and points that we can see through Joseph's life that has to deal with this. One is the reality of suffering. Two is the response, our response to suffering. And three is the redemptive nature of suffering. All right. So the first part we see in the first part of the verse, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now, as a key moment, right, it just points out to this fact of like, the, the reality is that we live in a fallen world that's broken. And that sooner or later, one day either, we're gonna experience death ourselves and people, our loved ones around us are. We're gonna bury our parents, or our parents are gonna bury us. Somebody's gonna have a really bad day and hear some really bad news. And, and that points to this reality, right? The next piece here is that the reality is that life outside of the garden is broken and inevitably involves suffering. Life outside of the of the garden. What I mean by the garden. What I mean is that this wasn't the way that God intended it to be from the beginning. That God created a world that was good, but then when Adam decided to rebel against God's plan, he and Eve and go their own way. Sin and death entered into a perfect world, and so now, as a result of that, get this now. Things are broken, and that brokenness involves our relationship with God is broken vertically, our relationship with each other, with our peers are broken, and our relationships with the next generation. There's no wonder why we always have this intergenerational beef. Things are broken. And we all have experienced it in different ways in our lives. And it's a hard thing And I don't want to trivialize that at all because it's it's, it's painful and it's hard. And what do I mean by suffering? Suffering is the pain that you experience as a result of a trial. Suffering is the pain that you experience as a result of a trial. Now, here's the thing. In that garden, there was an enemy of God named Satan. And Satan is the one who deceived Adam and Eve into even partaking of the fruit and satan is the author of brokenness and suffering and here's his mission his mission is to steal kill and destroy our lives our ambitions our visions the dreams that god has given us to destroy those his mission is to he has limited power but great influence so, and part of that is that he's not omnipotent. This is not like a sense where God has an equal and they just have this eternal struggle and battle. There's this aspect where Satan's power is limited. It's, it, it, it's more, he's, he has influence in the world around us. It's great, but it's not absolute. He has limited power, but here's the last part, very important. He shouldn't be used as an excuse for your own poor choices. Yeah, let me unpack that a little bit. So so. So, you know, them times when like you in college and like, you're like, mm, I could study this weekend or I could do, go to the club and go to the party where everybody else is doing. All right. I'm just going to pray over my test and Lord deliver. And, you know, and it's like, wait, no, 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 no. And then it's like, yo, you know, Satan, man, the devil just be he be just getting me down. No, that ain't Satan. That's you. All right. And that, that might you like, yo, I'm out of college. That doesn't really relate to me. All right. We're just walking out Fifth Avenue. Look through the window see something real nice on that budget like yeah but i deserve those shoes i know plastic credit then a little bit later now man now i can't give like i want that look that wasn't satan that was you OK, so he cannot be used an excuse for our poor choices. But the reality is he is he's real. And I love this quote from y'all remember the movie Usual Suspects, deep movie in it. There's a line in which he says the greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. So there's this reality that because he can be behind the scenes causing this manipulation, we don't even know that he's there. and We think, oh, that's crazy to even think that there's evilness in the world. Well, look around us. We see it on the news every day, stuff that just makes you go, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody kill a baby? Why would somebody down a plane? Like, there's evil in the world, and that evilness has a source, and his name is Satan. So here's the next part. Suffering, again, I'll give you that definition, right? And this is a picture of Joseph in this pit. And, 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 and you can imagine it, just take yourself there, why? That big question. Why am I there? What did I do to deserve this? The reality is that suffering is painful and it's pain as a result of a trial. Now the interesting thing is in that word trial, we're gonna look into that a little bit more because there's, there's pain in that, but there's also hope. But here's the other part, suffering is complex and it comes at us from multiple different angles. Sometimes we suffer as a result of our own poor choices and decisions. Now, even in Joseph's life, even though I'm not blaming him for his situation, he did have something to do with it, with his kind of bratty, you know, kind of way with his brothers. And so oftentimes there's pain and suffering in our lives that we have something to do with, we contribute to. Some of the bad relationships that you have, are, you've contributed to, right? Same thing with myself. Here's another thing. Sometimes it's a result of other people's choices. Many of us have experienced separation from parents. And that, and that, and that separating and that divorce is something that has a profoundly impacted us. And it was nothing that we did. It just was something that we experienced. And then other times it's through situations and circumstances that we had no control over. Really sometimes not even a matter of somebody's fault. It's just an accident that happened. That was just a tragedy. So, Satan is the author of brokenness and suffering and suffering is complex and it comes at us through different good ways. But here's the goal. The goal of life is not simply to avoid or manage suffering, but to lean into God in the midst of it. We, many of us, when we, especially when we've experienced such difficulties and trials in our past, we, we, we go through these emotions of trying to go through the path of least resistance where all of a sudden my goal in life is to avoid suffering. So as a result of that, I won't let anybody get close to me. I won't take any risks anymore. I won't do anything that might put me in harm's way because I don't want to get anywhere close to that. And as a result of that, you don't experience life. Because if you don't let anybody get close enough to hurt you, then that means you can't let them get close enough to bless you either. You can't let them get close enough to love you either. And so the goal isn't to simply avoid it, but to lean into God in the midst of it. And that takes us to the second point. So the first point was that the reality of suffering. The second point is our response. Now, check this out. We see this in, in the quote. But Joseph said to them. Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? It's kind of a deep sentiment. And what it involves is that there's an element of him trusting in God's sovereignty and trusting in God's sovereignty is the best response to suffering. He's like, who am I? I I can't, like look y'all, chill, like relax. I realize that I'm not in the place of God God has a plan that he's bigger than me. And so as a result of that, I'm trusting him in the midst of this. And and trusting God's sovereignty is the best response to suffering. Now that's a big word, trusting God's sovereignty. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what sovereignty means. Sovereignty is to reign or rule over. See, In this case, it means that God is in control of everything that happens in the world. Nothing happens to me or to you that He doesn't first allow. And that God has a different perspective on what happens in your life. And therefore, He has a very different view of what constitutes good or bad in our lives. Different perspective. Joseph said, hey, but, but God meant it for good, and the, real, the reality is, is that we got to realize we don't know everything. We can't see everything. There are angles and elements, and oftentimes there's something that God is doing in the midst of us that, is, that we need that trial in order to get over. You know, it's funny when um, someone asked Thomas Edison, well, man, how did you overcome failing 99 times out of a hundred in order to come up with the correct aspect of a light bulb you failed 99 times and he said no I didn't I just figured out 99 different ways not to make a light bulb (laughs) and so there's this aspect where our perspective in the midst of suffering has everything to do with it check this out God's promise God promises to bring about good in everything for those who love him now many of us know this verse is one of the classic and unfortunately misrepresented verses in all of scripture it says you know Romans 8:28, for God works everything out for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose right now here's a problem with how that gets misapplied we think that we know what good is but sometimes what God uses as good and means as good is something that we don't think is good. We don't like it. Here's the deal. Right. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed for patience. Raise your hand if you ever prayed for patience. Right. All right. cool. Thank you. you can put your hand. There. Now. You know how God tends to hook you up with the answer to that prayer. <laughs> Giving you situations in which your impatience can grow into patience. All right. Let me let me flip it. Y'all like y'all not feeling me on that. All right. So. When you are trying to get stronger, you lift weights, right? (laughs) But when you lift weights, you can't be picking up a little two pound dumbbell and doing like 100 reps and thinking you're doing anything. In order to effectively build muscle mass, you have to pick up a weight that is sufficiently difficult for you to, 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 to lift. So as a result of that resistance building, Over time, your muscles get stretched, and they grow, and now all of a sudden they get stronger, and now you can put up some more weights. So in order for you to grow and get stronger, you have to have resistance strong enough to push against you so that you can lift it over time. Can't do it with light weights. Two-pound deals ain't going to do it. Aerobics ain't going to get you them pecs, bruh. You know what I mean? That tone, all that stuff. And we Look, in all of commercials, it'd be like, all you gotta do, I just took this pill. It's a lie. The devil is a lie. Look, you gotta do no pain, no gain. That's how it works. And so there's an aspect where the good, and sometimes what is good, like the working out scenario, is also painful. That first time after you work out, after you ain't been in the gym in a few months, that next day, Woo. You'd be like you feel, you feel pain in muscles you didn't even know you had. <laughs> but that's the result of it. Right. All right. So. So good. What is good? What does that even mean? It's we have to look at God's perspective and that's why we have to um, allow it to be defined by him. And so I, just to share with you on a personal level, experiencing this, so a, a couple years ago, I, some of you guys noticed, heard our story, uh, before we moved here last month, uh, we were in Indiana. We were in Indiana to do, be involved in this music ministry um, where we worked with young people and artists and went toured around the country, around the world, and used music to do outreach concerts in places like homeless shelters and youth detention centers. And on the block, we actually did a concert a few years ago right here in this building in 2009. And so a couple years ago, we were working with a group, Level 316, and they had recorded an album, it was incredible, we were all excited about it, and then everything kind of fell apart. And a completed, finished album that I thought was gonna change everything in their lives, and our lives, God was gonna give us additional platforms, we had worked with different artists, had Miley Music on the thing, it was just off the hook and it all collapsed and fell apart and as in the midst of that i thought this is not good god you this 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 is terrible this sucks i don't like this but god was teaching me something in that he was teaching me that things i needed to learn now first of all that your value to me is not based on your contributions we don't add God's affection to us by what we do for him. He loves us the same when we fall, when we achieve the highest ministry objective and goal that we could, and I needed to learn that. We all did. There was a lot of other things and lessons and perspectives that we needed to get from that, and it took something difficult happening. So going back to Joseph's life, we started off, and he's this spoiled brat that is tattling on his brothers and you know just thinks everything revolves around him kind of bragging and kind of throwing out his ministry credentials in front of everybody else but then when you look at the process that God took him through when he's in that pit when he's in that prison and all of a sudden when the first thing when Pharaoh when he appears before Pharaoh you know what the dude says because remember now he didn't got hyped up dude was like yo he interpreted my dreams he's good so Pharaoh comes up to him like so you can interpret my dream and Joseph says no I can't do nothing for you and I know like the dude was like, oh, snap, what is he doing? And he says, but my God can. My God can do all things. His perspective totally changed from Genesis chapter 37 when he was like, yo, y'all, y'all going to bow before me. How did that happen? There was a process involved where God slowly, slowly pressed all of the pride and arrogance out of him and gave him perspectives so that now he could be useful. It took the effort and it took the process. How we respond to suffering reveals our trust in God's promises. It shows us who we really are and what we really believe. When that heat gets hot and that rent gets due, hello, New York? (laughs) Rent out here ain't no joke. This is like, you know, for real. And and in the midst of that, the choices that you uh, just, what corners might you cut? What places might you go? What morals and what might you compromise? That that depends on it. So here we go. When we go to suffering, there's three different reactions and responses. The first one, and you can write these down, is you could get bitter or you could get better. That's the first choice. When bad things happen, bitter and pouty people just complain about it. They use that as a a, a reason to just think, you know, I hate the world, the world hates me and everything is terrible. Thank you. And they are victims and they see themselves as such. But the biblical perspective is that we're not victims, we're victors. And that we God is using whatever situation to put us in the weight room, to put us in the gym, to get us fit, to burn off what needs to get burnt off, to strengthen what needs to be strengthened. So the first question is, are you bitter? Or are you getting better? The next one is revenge or release. That's cool. Revenge or release. (laughs) And so here's the deal. When you suffer and feel pain, especially at the hands of someone else, it's easy to lash out or try to get revenge. But the Bible tells us vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not. Uh, try to take up revenge, vengeance for yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. And so here's the thing. Instead of Joseph looking to get back at his brothers. And if he would have done that here, you got to understand the theological implications of this. God had sent. Joseph was part of the tribe of Israel. If he would have got vengeance on his brothers, the whole tribes would have been cut off. God's plans would have been frustrated for what he was trying to do and show the world through him. It was bigger than him is basically the bottom line. And so we have to understand that we're going to go for revenge or we're we going to release people. And here's the crazy thing about revenge. All, all the while, while we're plotting and scheming and angry and holding grudges, you know what? You know who we're really hurting? Ourselves. I mean, we'd be like steaming and thinking and meditating about somebody that's moved on and forgot about it. Letting them just pay rent in our head for, you know, living our head without paying rent for free. So the third one is medicate or meditate. And this is another thing that just gets so challenging. It's like when the discomfort or suffering arrives, medicating the pain is easy. We medicate through a lot of different things. It could be through alcohol and drugs. That's what people, you know, let me just get my mind off of this world. Sometimes we medicate with a boo. Let me just get some attention. Let me just kind of get my mind off of that. Or we can meditate on God and his promises. So you have a choice. Are you just going to run through the street with your woes? <laughs> That's an option. Or you can think about how to get better and, and press into God. So here we go. I'll give you an example of this, right? Check I, This video, this clip, I, I only could show, it's very brief because... It, most of it wasn't appropriate to show in church, but this is an example. Yeah. Now, what was she just saying? This there. Okay, that was about all of it. That's it. I, like six seconds is all I could get out of that without any anything getting bad. All right. So here's the deal, right? Bad Girls Club. She's upset with her roommates because. You know, they kept her up with their noise. So she decides to get pans and all night go throughout the house saying, I ain't getting no sleep because of y'all. Y'all ain't going to get no sleep because of me. Which reaction did she just have? Bitter. Revenge. <laughs> and she was medicating in her own stew, right? But we have another option to get better. And there's, and there's another example I, I want to show you guys. And, uh, you know, last year, I'm a basketball fan right and uh there was this dude andre igudala now andre igudala has been a pro in the nba for over 10 years was on the olympic team won a gold medal all-star perennially good player and for the first time in his career he's pretty much in the prime of his career This new coach first time rookie coach says hey andre we want you to come off the bench and he's like ah, i don't really like that but you know what I'm gonna do whatever the team needs. And this guy, for, all, for the first time in his NBA career, his college career, his high probably the first time in his life, spent the whole season coming off the bench. They, until the finals happens. And then the finals come up, and some of y'all remember this, and they had a problem with this dude named LeBron James. Nobody could stop him, nobody could hold him, so they decide to start Andre Iguodala, game three changes the whole series And for the first time in NBA history, somebody who had never started an NBA game ended up being the MVP that year. He never started an NBA game that year, and yet he became the MVP. Eagle Dallas talks about how his faith in Christ and his relationship with God gave him perspective to understand that I could get bitter or I could get better. And he was ready. Think about that. All throughout preseason, throughout the games, it would have been easy for him to check out. He was ready, and when his number was called, he did his job. And God got the glory. And the team won. And they're looking pretty good right now, too. All right. So every one of us is in a different place with our suffering. Every one of us has a different place that we enter. But ultimately, those are the questions that we have to ask. Am I going to get bitter or better? Revenge or release? Or medicate and meditate? Now, finally... The third point. Is redemption, check out what Joseph says at the end of this in Genesis 50, he says what you meant you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. Here is the great redemptive truth. And this is what I'm saying in this series on text messages. Here's the point. Here's what we're trying to get. This is like a 30,000 foot perspective on the narrative and the theme of Scripture. And that is that God has this uncanny way of redeeming our suffering for our good and His glory. Now, what does redeem mean? Redeem is to take something broken and through payment make it whole again to take something broken and through payment, make it whole again. After Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he tells them, look, y'all, y'all did me dirty. I'm acknowledging that. It was foul, throwing me in that pit, leaving me for dead, telling my dad that, that I was dead. That was wrong. But there was something bigger that was happening. And here's the point. Suffering is a, refi- a, a refining process that can produce growth in our lives if we let it. It will reveal character. I mentioned that word trial earlier. And a trial, here's the clue, even in the definition of, of suffering, is a trial is a test, right? Like a trial, we have like in the jury context, in a in criminal justice context, a trial is supposed to determine one's guilt or innocence. It's supposed to determine what happened what's really there about a past event and so what god is doing in our trials is to create a test for, so that we can know is our faith really real what's really going on or, or, or is it just convenient just because that's just what was convenient to believe and so it reveals our character trials bring christ-like maturity and here's the amazing thing that god doesn't just use trials to show us what's in us sometimes he'll in the trial we see what wasn't in us and then he'll put it in us in the trial he'll put what wasn't there so that we can move on and move forward and then lastly it has strengthened us for our next challenge like I said just like with those weights now it's like okay I get at a place where I curl 25s for a couple weeks let me we go up to 30s then I get up to 30s now I can get up to some 35s on there and then we get strengthened from the difficulty And lastly, God's greatness is reflected. God gets glory out of it. And, you know, it's funny because this whole issue of suffering, it really messed me up when I looked at this one passage in scripture and I totally was confused by it. It's Colossians chapter two, verse 15. And it says this This is Paul talking to the church of Colossae. And he says, in having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public display of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And I was like, um, Paul, like, I think you want, need to check your history. What do you mean Jesus disar- like made a public spectacle of the enemies? He was the one that was the public spectacle. And, and, and this scenario reminded me, I like sports, and, and so it reminded me of this one event that happened a while ago called the Rumble in the Jungle. That song that we actually played was was inspired by this actually, uh, this, this fight. And basically what happened is before, now you see George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali. Now for some of our younger folks in there, he didn't always sell grills. no, Like that wasn't like his gig. At one point, he was the heavyweight champion of the world and was considered the hardest hitting man ever in the history of heavyweight boxing. And so in this fight when this happened in the early 70s muhammad ali had just been stripped a couple years earlier from his title because he refused to participate in the vietnam war when he got drafted and so his title was taken from him and this is now two three years later and he was already kind of over a little bit over the hill at that point point. and so when this fight got promoted this was like ali's first chance to get the title back now The experts, when you look and you read at that time, the question that all the experts unanimously were asking was not if Foreman could beat Ali, it was what round would it happen in. Foreman was at the prime of his life, is his career as a boxer, like I said, hardest hitting, undefeated, it was like, yo, it's just a matter of time. And so the fight goes on and just as predicted, and it's interesting when you watch it, you can actually watch this on YouTube, and for several rounds, all you see happen is Foreman just stalking the ring through Ali and just throwing punches and throwing punches and throwing punches. And you just see Ali like cowering, just in the corner, like just in the ropes, just buckling back like this. You actually we got a picture of it on this next slide, right? This is what happened for round after round after round. Round one, round two, round three. And you can actually hear the announcers feeling sorry for Ali. Man, this is a shell of somebody that we used to be great and now he's just terrible, he's just getting beat down. Round five, boom, boom, boom. Round six, round seven. And then in round seven, something weird happened. All of a sudden he's doing this and getting punched and punched and punched And they notice that Foreman is swinging a little bit slower. He's tired from punching for so long. And Ali leans back and then goes, boom, bam. Foreman gets knocked out and everybody is in shock. And before you know it, Ali is saying, I'm the champ of the world, I'm the champ of the world, I'm the champ of the world. And everybody's like, what just happened? And so after the fight, they went up to him And they said, yeah, I call that the (laughs) rope-a-dope. See, I deliberately let him give me his best shots to tire him out so that eventually I would knock him out. And then I went back to Colossians 2.15. I said, okay, wait a minute. You said you made a public display of the enemies by taking what he had against us, the accusations of our own sin and fallenness. And Jesus took his best shot by being nailed on the cross And three days later went, boom, boom. I'm the champ of the world. I'm the savior of the world. I'm the savior of the world. And here's the point. Yes, here's the point. God doesn't just say to us, you're going to suffer in life. But he gets into the game and demonstrates in his own life that suffering is redemptive. This is the story of the Christian life. This is the story of our Savior, that he who was dead rose again and now with all power in his hand gives us the ability to experience resurrection. So that now even the greatest loss that we can experience, death itself, is just a foretaste to I'm in your presence, Lord. And so if that is true, then if he can take death, the worst thing that could have happened and make it into the best thing that happened. Think about it. crucifixion was the most ugly thing in the world. And now we wear crosses and we look at them and we put them on Christian things as a symbol of the hope that we have within us. And if that is it could be true of Jesus in the cross and get so much more. Is that true in our lives? The empty tomb is proof of the fact that God redeems our suffering. Suffering is in the syllabus. And there's this verse in Hebrews that just amazes me. It says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And again, that messed up my theology a little bit because I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus knows everything. How could he learn something? And the reality is there's some things that you can only learn through experience. And that even the risen lord had to experience the pain and the trials of being crushed and being mocked and and being killed in order to fully be able to be a high priest who can empathize with us in all of our difficulties is that good news to y'all the cool thing is that suffering is in the syllabus but jesus got a straight a And unlike that person in the class that would mess up our grades by messing up the curve. Remember that? We actually get the benefit from his perfect score. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you tell us the reality is that suffering will happen in our lives. And it takes many different forms. And you tell us that the response to our suffering is really what matters. Lord, help us to be better and not bitter. Help us to meditate on your promises and your word and not medicate by distractions. Help us to experience release and not revenge. And help us to trust that there is a redemptive thread in even the ugliest, most difficult things that we've experienced in our life. That your text message to us is that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We thank you and we commit this to you. In Jesus name, amen.